Uh, I've delayed resuming our uh, overview of the Bible uh, sermon series one more week when I realized that um, half our congregation would be away today. Uh, so we'll start and resume it again next week when we look at Colossians chapter 1 together. So, uh, before we look further at this parable together, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for these parables recorded and preserved for us in the gospel accounts. Uh, these stories of Jesus, uh, which have uh, a significant and poignant point, uh, may they speak to our hearts today, we pray, uh, as their timeless message uh, comes home to us. May your Holy Spirit help us to hear and understand the significance of what Jesus was saying and to respond to it appropriately. Amen. Uh, back in 1988, I was invited to a wedding of a friend from university. Uh, I myself and my girlfriend uh, were both invited. Uh, she knew him better than I, and so whilst we were both invited to the wedding ceremony, only she was invited to the wedding reception afterwards. Uh, I was reliant on her for transport to and from the wedding, and so basically I had to bide some time whilst they had the wedding reception after the ceremony. Uh, it was set in a big old uh, country home in some nice grounds in England, and so uh, I basically took a good book and made myself comfortable in the shrubbery uh, just to pass the time. Uh, I must say, it wasn't a very pleasant experience from the point of view of uh, being on the outside and hearing of all the festivities within. Uh, it got decidedly more complicated when unexpectedly the bride and groom came out for a photo shoot and came over to the part of the gardens where I was, and I was having to grub around in the undergrowth to hide myself. Uh, fortunately, I avoided detection. But it is not pleasant, believe me, to be shut out of a wedding celebration. And in this parable, uh, Jesus tells just such a story. And as we will see, uh, the shock of this story hits us when we understand just who is being Shut out. Of all the parables that Jesus told, this parable is probably the scariest and the most traumatizing. Uh, for the context of this parable, we need to go back to the preceding chapter of Matthew, uh, chapter 24, verse 44. It says this, So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And immediately following this warning, Jesus gives three parables. We're looking at one of them today. Uh, he gives the parable of the faithful and evil servant. Uh, secondly, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Here we are. And then he concludes with the parable of the talents. And in these parables, Jesus gives a sober warning. It's a warning to be prepared for his return. That is his second coming. Now, in this story, it features lamps, and here is a picture of a lamp from first century Palestine. I think, uh, David, you also have some in your personal artifact collection, don't you? Oh, there we go. Uh, I snuck in earlier. Uh, it wasn't a very expensive item, quite simple, uh, but it relied, of course, on oil. Without oil, it was absolutely useless. And so we're told this story of a wedding. And there are ten virgins who are described here. Five are wise and five are foolish. Uh, what we know about these virgins is this. Uh, this is not a parable like the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, that is between 
a wealthy pagan uh, and a beggar. Rather, all of these ten women were invited to the wedding. In the ancient world, uh, they would have been invited by the bride, by the bride herself. And these women would have been, in effect, her ladies in waiting. They would help prepare her for the glorious moment when she would be united with the bridegroom. And obviously, it was a joyous occasion. It would be celebrated with great gusto. And therefore, to have an invitation to the wedding was an incredible honor. But you see, these women were not only invited to the wedding, but they were part of the bridal party. So you see, these women actually had a special status. Uh, They were in the inner circle. Now, obviously, this parable uh, is about the coming of the bridegroom, which, of course, is referring ultimately to Jesus, the Son of Man. And the coming of the bridegroom is to celebrate his wedding with the church. That's the basic point of the parable. But the problem is this. Half of these women who are in the inner circle are deemed to be foolish as distinguished from the wise ones. And the reason that they are foolish is that they came unprepared to the wedding. We need to stop just for a second to further consider what sort of people are being described here. These people are clearly in the church. They are people who are part of the congregation of the people of God. And in order to be a member of the church, for most part of church history, a person has to make a profession of faith in Christ. So I think it's safe to say that all ten of these women had made their profession of faith in Christ. They see themselves as Christians. And so we are talking now about professed Christians inside the church. Uh, They're not pagans out on the streets who would try to gatecrash the wedding party. These again are friends of the bride. They are expecting to participate in the joyous wedding feast when the bridegroom comes. And the basic difference between the two groups is that the wise virgins not only brought lamps, but also oil for the lamps. Look at verse 3 again. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. Nothing is more useless than one of these lamps without oil. Uh, The others brought their lamps, but did not bring the required provision of oil. And as it turned out, the wedding was delayed. Uh, The groom did not get there at the expected time. And in this interim, as they were waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom, they fall asleep. And at midnight, they're aroused by the public announcement, Behold, the bridegroom's here. 
And the five virgins who were wise, immediately they trimmed their lamps, that they were ready to move into wherever the ceremony was about to take place, to go into some sort of building. But the foolish virgins realized they didn't have enough oil for their lamps. Now, throughout church history, uh, there have been all kinds of attempts to interpret the parable uh, as an allegory. Uh, That is, that there is some sort of hidden meaning, and each part of the story has some deeper significance. Now, there are some occasions where Jesus himself gives an allegorical interpretation of a parable. Uh, For example, the parable of the sower, uh, the four different soils, the four different types of heart. But for the most part, the safest way to interpret a parable is to look for the one poignant meaning. The safest way, for the most part, to interpret a parable is not to drill down and to try and understand every detail in the story. If you do, you'll usually end up in confusion. Nevertheless, it is obvious that at the center of this story, there was a significant lack in one group that was not in the other group. And the lack in the story is defined as the oil for the lamps. Throughout throughout church history, people have been wanting to ask, well, what is the significance of the oil? Historically, the Roman Catholic Church has identified the oil with good works. They're saying that these are the good works that are necessary to be added to faith in order for a person to be saved. Protestants, on many occasions, have looked at the oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Uh, This is because, of course, in biblical literature, oil is frequently used as a symbol for the Spirit. And therefore, the conclusion was that these foolish virgins were missing the Holy Spirit. Well, whether there is an allegorical point or not, one thing is absolutely clear. What we do know is that whatever they were missing, whether it was the Holy Spirit or something related to the Holy Spirit, it would exclude them from the wedding feast. On the surface, it's the oil, but Jesus was speaking more deeply about that because of the grim conclusion he comes to with respect to these foolish virgins after the bridegroom's arrives. The wise virgins, they trim their lamps, And they're able to go into the building or the sanctuary, wherever this marriage feast is being held. However, the foolish virgins were lacking what was needed. Uh, They tried desperately to negotiate with the wise virgins. How about letting us have some of your extra oil because we've run out. Uh, We'll be stumbling around in the dark unless you give us some of your oil. But the wise virgins say, sorry, there's not enough for us to keep our lamps lit and also to have your lamps functioning. Uh, What you need to do is hurry up, go into the local town, find somebody who sells oil, buy it, and then come back, and hopefully it'll be before it's too late. And so the foolish virgins follow the advice of the wise. They go and they purchase their oil. But then the moment of truth comes. The bridegroom arrives. He comes and he goes into the wedding as was the custom, and he closes the door to the outside. 
and the doors are now shut. Verse 10. But while they were still on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, and the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. These people, who were supposedly part of the honored guests, were shut out of the joyous wedding celebration. And when the foolish virgins came back, they realized the wedding has started. They find the door locked and they bang on the door and they try desperately to get in. They knock on the door and they shout and they're they're interrupting the marriage service. Verse 11, later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. Uh, Most of the translations actually render it here. Uh, Lord, Lord, the word is kurios, the word for Lord. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Uh, The net NIV is the only one who uses sir, sir. There are about 15 instances in the Bible where someone is addressed with the repetition of their name. Abraham, Abraham. Jacob, Jacob. My father, my father, Elisha says to Elijah. Martha, Martha. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When the name was repeated... It was a Jewish way of expressing personal intimacy. And so when the foolish virgins come and the door is locked, they don't just cry out in the night, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. It's personal. They're saying, you are my Lord. I want to be here for your wedding. I expected to be here. Lord, Lord, I have intimate knowledge of you, a close personal relationship with you. I'm not a gatecrasher, I'm not a pagan, I'm not a stranger trying to gatecrash your wedding. And yet Jesus says in verse 12, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. The bridegroom's response is shocking. He's saying, you may have invitations. You may have lamps without oil. You may call me Lord, Lord, but I don't know you. I don't know who you are. If we go back earlier in Matthew's Gospel to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 7, it ends in a similar way. Matthew 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many. Notice, not a few, but many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Lord, I was a preacher I was a kid's church leader. I was on the committee of management. I was an elder. I did all these things. I cast out demons in your name. I've done many wonders in your name. And yet, verse 23, then I will tell them plainly, I never 
knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. At the wedding, the bridegroom says, I don't know you. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I never knew you. You see, it's not that Jesus says, I knew you, but then I cut you from my Christmas card list or forgot your name. You were never known by me. Obviously, when the bridegroom says this, uh, he's representing Christ. And he's not talking about a sort of an absence of cognitive information in the mind of the bridegroom. It's not like Jesus was saying, I was never acquainted with you. I never saw your name on the membership role of the church. He's using the term to know here, not simply in the cognitive sense, but in the personal redemptive sense. He may know their names. He may know where they live, and of course he does. He will be aware of their preaching and all their service, but Jesus is saying, I never knew you redemptively, savingly. What was missing in the lives of the virgins, the foolish virgins, was salvation, saving faith. They obviously didn't have that regenerative power of the Holy Spirit. If they had saving faith, even if they had been late or delayed, the Lord would have said, shame on you for being late, but still you can come in. This parable is not about pagans, but about professors. And by that I don't mean lecturers at a university. It's about professors, in other words, those who have made a profession of faith but do not possess what they profess. They are not in their hearts trusting to be saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And if we link this to Matthew 7, we see that this is not going to be just a handful of exceptional people who have made false professions. Soberingly, their number will be many. And so, therefore, I have to ask each of you by way of application, uh, which group do you identify with? If you are a church member and you've made a profession of faith, uh, it would be natural for you to identify with the wise virgins. Maybe you even look with disdain at the foolish virgins who didn't bring any oil for their lamps. But what if you were one of the foolish ones? The thing that is so clear in the warning that Jesus gives is that when the door is shut, it is shut and it's too late. And therefore, his challenge is clear. Examine ourselves now so that we are ready for that day whenever it comes. Verse 13. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. He's talking, of course, about the hour when we will stand before him in all his glory. And each of us ultimately will meet Christ in one of two ways. The day or the hour will come for us in one of two senses. 
The day or the hour will certainly come when we meet him on the day of Christ's cosmic return at the end of time. And tragically on that day, there will be people in the church whom he will not know. But if he delays another 50 years or 100 years, then in each one of us will also meet him in a different sense. The day or the hour will be different. It will be in a personal and private sense because we know it is appointed once to die and then to face judgment. When we close our eyes in death and breathe our last breath on this earth, the next face that we will see will be the face of Jesus. And the question is, what will He say to us? How utterly shocking it will be if we hear those words, who are you? I never knew you. For by then it is too late. The door is shut and only outer darkness awaits. And so my plea for everyone who hears this parable is that you will take its warning seriously. Examine yourself. Examine your heart. Make sure that you have saving faith in Christ alone, by grace alone, not by works. Make sure that you're not just relying on your church attendance or your church membership or being member of a a church Bible study group or even being a member of the committee of management or an elder. Everyone who makes a profession of faith is invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, but not everyone will enter in. This is a scary parable, and it's a wake-up call for those who have a false sense of security. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you that your word clearly instructs our hearts and minds in the present so that we can be ready for that day when we will face the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when that hour and that day will come, whether it be the hour of Christ's return cosmically or whether it be the day when our eyelids close in death. But we pray that each of us here would be ready for that day by examining our heart now and ensuring that we are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and trusting in your grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Amen.